Hello again and welcome to the Master's Voice. I am Celestial and you are welcome to this channel. To old and new subscribers alike, you are very welcome. The Master's Voice is available on many different platforms and you can find more about that by looking in the description box below, audio and video channels, as well as one Spanish language translation channel that is called Canal Profetico, La Voz del Señor. The Master's Voice also has a blog by that same name and there is also an English blog that is the root for everything that is done on this channel and you can find it at www.the-masters-voice.com. So today is going to be a freeform video. This is almost what I might call an addendum to the Lord's prophetic words. So this is not precisely prophecy. This is more looking at the scriptures. The Lord has said that everything that I know, I should bring it out and I should speak it because things that have been spoken already, these are printed prophecies that I'm working my way through, making them into video, even though not every single prophecy will be made a video because most themes appear more than five times. Some of them are 10 times. Some of them are 20 or more times. So not every single prophecy will be made into a video, but I am making the master's voice prophecies, the written prophecies into video. I'm also bringing out the prophecies that I've been receiving from the Lord ever since I came back from my break. And I've made quite a few videos on that since I think it's March, but there are still quite a few that have not been made. And so I've been working through that. But today's video is going to be looking at things that God has brought up. These that are written in, in my notebook is just things that he's brought up just basically today. But, bless his name, these are things that have been repeating for almost the entire time that I have been making these videos and proclaiming the word of the Lord. So this is a prophecy blog that is bringing out prophetic words of God. These are things that God has said that he will do, things that will come to pass, and they're being proclaimed for one sole purpose. Well, for multiple purposes, but they fall under one sole purpose. It must be understood that there is a God in this world, that people are not free, and that people do not have license to say that there is no God, that they are going to set up their own effigies in their own countries and follow their own way. At some point, all of human, humankind, all of humanity is going to come to one convergence point, and that convergence point is that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter if you will go down on your knees and confess this willingly by yourself, or if you will be compelled to by the supernatural presence of the Lord, at the end of all things, either way, whether you do it willingly or whether you are compelled to do it in the company of the demons and Satan himself, as they all will be compelled, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Human beings will be brought to understand that God is alive and what is alive in this earth makes a sound. So not only is God alive, but God is alive and he has a voice and that voice is alive and well and speaking into the earth, revealing mysteries to his servants, the prophets, that the people of God who are most beloved to him, first and foremost, those of the family and the company of faith should know what thus says the Lord. So that is what the master's voice is here for. This is a free form video looking at many themes that you, if, as you listen, you will realize that you have heard these things in so many videos, unless you're a brand new person 
to the channel, you will realize that you have heard many of these things. And the reason they keep coming as exhortations, rebukes, and admonishments in the prophecies is because, please listen, Church of Jesus Christ, if you fall short of these things, these things are costly. These things, especially with the kind of prophecies that most of you know you've been hearing here for quite a while, these things can cost you your life. And it is not God's desire that any should perish. Even worse, it is not the Father's desire that you should perish outside of the faith. And so there are little headings here and there are Bible verses here and with the grace of the Holy Spirit bestowed, we will look at these verses and come to an understanding, excuse me please, of what the Father is trying to say. So the first verse here, the first heading is unbelief, unbelief. And the verse for that is Mark chapter nine and verse 23, just a moment, please. And I'm just going to look at one verse. This is one verse coming out of the story where a child was brought to the Lord and the child was mute, right? So the child was mute. And the reason that people, that his parents were bringing him to Jesus is because Jesus basically came upon the scene. So he was coming back from wherever he was coming back from, and he came to find a very great crowd with a father with a mute son in the midst of it, and the disciples had been trying to cast out a demon from the child, and they could not successfully cast out the demon. And so the father was explaining the child's woes, that there was a spirit in the child that caused the child to foam at the mouth and caused the child to grind and gnash his teeth, meaning that he would often be in danger of grinding up his own tongue. And he would become rigid, it says, and the demon would throw the boy down. And so the father's giving Jesus the backstory. And Jesus says, you faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? Meaning, how long do I have to stay with you repeating the same teachings to you and showing you the same methodologies that I employ in this realm and you still don't understand. How long will I bear with you? And so Jesus said that they called the boy to him. And the verse here is verse 23. Jesus speaking to the father. After the father has poured out his heart to God. And he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So here is this man standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. And says, if. He says to God, if. You can do anything. Have compassion on us. And Jesus says to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So I've often spoken about how, is, how important it is. Actually, it's more than important. It is crucial that when you are reading your Bible, you are reading your Bible with understanding. Many people read their Bible, but they do not read their Bible actively, meaning you read the Bible, you look at the words that are there, and then you only read them passively. So whatever they say is what they say. And you don't take the words into your mind and begin to crunch them up, to begin to eat them, chewing on them like a cow with a cud, so that information is processed out of just passing by your eyes, passing across your brain, just blowing like a wind, but it actually enters into your spirit and imparts the life that these words in the Bible has. Jesus says to him, this man says, if you can do anything. So Jesus answers him exactly at the level where he's at and says, well, if you can believe, because to the one that believes, all things are possible. Jesus is saying that if this man can believe, there is no limit to what Jesus can do for him. But this automatically leaves a contingency 
in what the Lord is saying. If the man cannot believe, then it means that nothing shall be done for him. And this is often a caveat that is not preached to people of God when they're listening. So they're given the gospel one way. God can do this for you and God can do that and God can get in the middle of that situation. This is what they are told. But they are not also told of a corresponding duty that while God is going to do this for them and while God is going to get into the midst and while God is going to turn that situation, God is waiting for people to come and interlock with him with their available faith. If God is just supposed to come and do everything and God is just supposed to come and be God and won't he do it, what are you going to do? You cannot stand there in the presence of God like Sideshow Bob. You can't just stand there and be watching in a passive stance. The entirety of Christianity requires faith and unbelief is the active enemy of faith. So Jesus says two contingencies to this man. He says if. That means that something can happen or something cannot happen. And Jesus was telling that man in his face that actually the healing of your son depends on you. The healing of your son is fully in your hands. Do you believe that I can do it or not? And it says here in verse 24 that immediately the father of this child cried out and he said it with tears. Realizing, please realize this man was speaking with tears and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Another contingency statement. Jesus has said, if, meaning you can believe or it's possible that you won't believe. And then he has also said, things are possible if you believe. What does the word possible mean? Just a moment, please. Possible has two applications. Possible can be used as an adjective, which means it's descriptive. Possible can be used as a noun, which means it's talking about an actual thing or object. When you use it descriptively, you're usually referring to possibility of power, availability of power, and also time and space. So let's say you have an appointment, you're late for an appointment and you didn't gauge your time properly and you haven't had time as a man to get a haircut or as a woman to get your hair done. But on the way home, you know that there's a good barber. On the way home, you know that, you know that there's a good salon and you rush in there and it's a bit close to closing time and you say to them, please, I have an emergency. Is it possible for you to take me? You're not referring to any object there. So you're not talking about the word possible as a noun. You're speaking about the word possible as an adjective, meaning that you are describing availability of power. Are you guys, do you guys have anyone who is here that can possibly take me? Do you have the ability to take me on as a client, even though I'm very late? And you are also talking to constraints of time and space. Do you have an available chair? Do you have an available barber or an available hairdresser? That is what this word possible means. It is talking about availability. But the second use of the word possible is referring to a thing. Something that is capable of being, doing, or becoming something. So this might be a situation where somebody wants to be Miss Arkansas, someone wants to be Miss Ohio. A group of girl will line, girls will line up and then they are checking them for what we call a possible. I have a list of people who wanna run for Senate. Here's the list of the possibles. Those are nouns, those are individual people. And so Jesus is saying, if 
That's one contingency. You might believe or you might not believe. That's the first one. But then he's also saying possible, which means it is no guarantee that there will be availability of power for you if you lack faith. People are not taught these things in the right way. And because they're not taught these things in the right way, many people are very passive with unbelief in our generation. And I see it all the time from this position that the Lord has given me. I will sit here and I will prophesy from my heart, mind, soul, and spirit in God's power. And then people will just walk casually by and say, does she have any fulfilled prophecies? Does she have anything that I can look at? As if it's shoes that they're looking at at the mall to see if they can get a fit. There is absolutely no responsibility on thousands of people who come across this resource that God has set for them here in the end days to have an actively discerning mind, to have actively listening ears and an actively listening heart that is going to hook into whatever few crumbs of the Bible they know and say, based on the few crumbs of the Bible I know, or based on the full loaf that I have baked over 5, 10, 15 years with Jesus, how does it match up my existing available knowledge of God, my availability of power with the Lord, with what I'm hearing? People take no responsibility for their, so for their souls. I see it especially on the short form social media, like TikTok and Facebook. People are so casual with their souls. And we will go into that because this is something that God brings up a lot. God says that people are in a craps game, a gambling game. And what you're playing with on the table is your soul. You think you're playing with wokeness. You think you're playing with a social media where you hear something and then it's like, oh, let me type because I have a little mobile keyboard, uh, a cell phone in my hand. You are playing with your soul. For these prophecies will not change nor will they fall away, nor will they go away. I have said in your hearing that the Lord has said to me, my daughter, you will see your words come to pass. So if you even take the time and look at what is on the playlist, Russia, China, giants, fallen angels, Nephilim, the collapse of one of the world's most prolific nations. If God is saying to me, I will see it with my own eyes, what exactly do people think we are doing here? It is dangerous to be walking around in unbelief at this time. It is dangerous to think that there is a burden on me to convince you. There is no burden on me to convince anyone or, or any, of anything. The burden that is on me is to complete the assignment and speak the words. Because judgment can't come until the words have been proclaimed and brought out in the public. That is where the burden stops and ends. The availability of Wi-Fi and time to make videos. That's where it cuts off for me. Burden of proof lies on the other side of the camera. Your ability to discern what you are listening to and your ability to shake yourself out of unbelief. This man hearing Jesus challenge him and say, oh, you think that your son being healed turns on whether I, the Lord, have power to heal him? If I can do anything you say to me, I, Jesus, say to you, sir, if you can believe you will see what I can do. And that man was struck to his heart with the Lord's gentle rebuke and cried. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then to make sure that he didn't leave any open doors for doubt to swoop in and rob him of what must have been a very difficult and soul-destroying 
life that he had been living up to that point. A father of a child filled with demons so powerful that the demon causes the baby to foam at the mouth. That can't be nice when you go to visit Mother Magdalene or something next door and the, the demon just decides this is the perfect time to start acting out, showing out in, the, in front of company. That can't have been nice for that family. That when the demon is near water, it tries to throw the boy into the water and drown him. When the mother is cooking and they're near fire, the, the demon tries to throw a, a child into the fire. Just a moment, please. That cannot have been easy for that family. So this man comes up to the point of his miracle and then he begins to be hampered by the inability to have faith, by the inability to trust what he has been hearing about this Jesus. He was not confused about who Jesus was. When Jesus came, I bet you, because it says a great multitude, that the energy that must have been buzzing in that crowd, everybody knew the disciples by then. They had already been sent out and they could do something according to the line of faith that they had in Jesus. So for him to come back and find them struggling with this demon, when Jesus was coming, I bet the crowd was going, it's going to get fixed now. This is Jesus. And the minute Jesus comes, the father engages him. He's no longer focused on the apostles who can't get it done. Bless their souls. He is now honed in on the man that everybody knows. This is the central core of power. This is the man who makes things move. Mountains move when Jesus enters the picture. The whole situation shifts when the Holy One is nearby. And yet this man is choking before the Lord. He has an opportunity to tap into something mighty and his humanity is hampering him. If you can do anything, he says to God, and how many people listening to this exhortation, how many of you know in your hearts that you have been with the rot of your situation so long that you're not even praying to God properly anymore. You don't, you can't even crank that engine in there to get the good quality faith going anymore. You're just, you know, Lord, if you could just help me, Lord, if you can do anything. And he's just saying, be it, be it unto you, be it unto you, be it unto you, according to your faith. If you can believe all things are possible, that's you can choose to believe or not to believe, but there is no onus on God to make you believe, nor is there one on me. And it needs to be understood because I see so much of it and I just wonder whose soul do you think you're risking? Mine is tucked away safely in here. And I always bring forth this challenge. What if I were to approach the Lord and say, Lord, do you have any fulfilled prophecies that I could look at before I start writing down these 500 plus messages that you have given me over the last 11 years? Do you have anything that's happened? Because all this stuff in the book of Revelation, none of it has really taken place. So as I look at your prophecies, Lord, you've got a few that, yes, we can say. But the majority of them, this man of sin, Lord, and the angel that will stand with one foot on the ground and one foot in the sea. And the coming of these locusts, do you have anything that's fulfilled that I could look at before I pick up my pen and begin to be your scribe? What if this had been my approach to the Lord. I ask you this because I ask the Lord this all the time. Father, how is it that when you started speaking, my ear caught your tone and I have been riveted to the sound of your voice these 11 years, but what are your people hearing? How do they see and how do they hear 
And the Lord's answer, because I continued to bring this question to him in the early part of this ministry, was Isaiah 6 and 10. I have said it, the curse that is on the American people, the majority of them, the overwhelming majority is Isaiah 6 and 10. Please look at that verse and please pray to God for this is a curse upon the land. And that curse is upon the land because it is determined to rest upon the land in order that the punishment take place. If no Isaiah 6 and 10 were there, the punishment could not come for the people would not be dull. Seeing they would see and hearing they would hear. They would not be dull and they would turn from their sins so that the Lord could heal them. But Isaiah 6 and 10 is in effect. And so seeing people don't see and hearing they say, I'm not sure. I'm getting a check in my spirit. May you cash that check at Chase. Because the check that you're having is the hampering of your own flesh when the truth of God's word is coming forth and you are choking before these prophetic words, many of you. To the people who have learned to sit still, most of you, if you are honest, you did not sit still in the beginning. You were all over the place, just like the new ones that come here, running up and down and I'm getting a check in my spirit. It is because the Lord insisted that you sit still. It is because he would not allow you to exalt your flesh over his voice. And that is the mercy that he showed many of you who are here now. You're not here because of your own free will. You're here because, because Jesus showed you mercy. You're here because you tried to turn your face away and he kept sending you right back here. He kept putting the videos on your YouTube. He kept making my voice ring in your belly like a gong until you had no choice but to submit. But left to your own devices, you would have been out of here right back to Julie Green or whoever it is that you were following before he showed you mercy. And that is how unbelief operates. It will rob you of the very food you need to sustain you in the end times. The next part is ignoring boundaries. And for this, we will look at Matthew 10, 11 to 15. And we will also look at Mark 16, 15 to 16. Just a moment, please. So the first part of what we will look at is Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And it's known uh, popularly in Christianity as the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So in these two short verses, we hear Jesus's instruction that is repeated in other parts of the four gospels, that those who have received the truth, those who have received the Lordship of Christ into their hearts and count themselves as children of the most high God are now to turn bearing the good news of what they have received and go out into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature, he says. He who believes and becomes baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus is presenting right here a clear duality. There are people who believe and there are people who do not believe. If you believe and become baptized, salvation is yours but if you don't believe you will be condemned so jesus was aware that there are people who will not believe and just as he says that salvation is the portion of those who believe and become baptized he says that condemnation which is just basically 
at the end of your life standing before God and being condemned for what I just described in the first part, the sin of unbelief, their punishment is condemnation. So the Lord who owns the whole gospel, the Lord who gave the commission to go and preach the gospel is aware that the gospel does not have a 100% success rate. He made this clear at the beginning and let the people who will be preaching the gospel, that's us, know that there will come situations where you will preach, you will exhort, you will teach, you will evangelize, you will prophesy, and the seed will fall on basically a hardened hardwood floor of a heart. It can bear no fruit because that heart, for whatever reasons known best to that heart, will shut the door on the preaching of the truth and turn away and say that the gospel is sour, not attractive, and they don't want it. And there are some who will turn towards the preaching, who can be exhorted, who can be rebuked, who will change their journey and cleave to the gospel, cast away their old ways and become baptized believers who are then saved. So why is it in modern Christianity then that people expect a 100% success rate from the gospel? This is because the true gospel has been replaced with the fake gospel of if we love hard enough, we can turn this thing around. If we love hard enough, love hard, love wild, we can turn this thing around. There's so much of Christianity that is just coming through these very polluted air conditioning filters, filters that have not been changed for years. A lot of those filters have come out of the Jesus generation. A lot of those filters are squarely the sins of Hillsong and Bethel Church. We can park half the sins of the modern Christian generation, especially in the United States, at the foot of those two ministries and ministries that are styled like them. Ministries that lead with love to the exclusion of all the other virtues, patience, meekness, endurance, self-control, and an often referred to one that we all need in life, common sense. Jesus is telling us that the gospel he's sending us to preach to every creature does not have a 100% success rate. And then further on in other parts of the gospel, like Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation 6, in fact, the whole book of Revelation, we see that the success rate may drop steeply due to the onset of the times that I have been sent to prophesy about. The end times, the end times being told to us by the Lord in Matthew 24 is the time of the rise of false Christs, false prophets, and the skyrocketing and multiplication of mockers and scoffers in the end days. This is people, you could preach them the whole gospel with a PowerPoint presentation using a big red crayon, and they will still say, but what about this part? I have questions. That's because there's obstinacy in the heart of the last day's audience. Even among the Christians, there is a denial of so many basic doctrines of our faith. There's a refusal to go further with God because people don't want to be naked. I'm always preaching about this. If you take away the few scraps of covering, basically the string bikinis that a lot of Christians are wearing and holding onto and calling it their faith, if you take this thing away, they will be naked. And yet God brought a prophecy a few months back that is called 2023, the year of the test. 
And that doesn't mean that 2023 is the only year of the test. God said that from here on out, we will be sorely tested. And many people would fail and have to go back to the starting line. And he said that he's going to shave many people right down to the skin. That means that he's going to disabuse you of many things that have been keeping you warm in the kingdom of God. Many things that you were hoping in, many things that you interpreted as the true gospel, and it was not the gospel that this Lord and Savior sent us to preach. The gospel does not have in the Bible a 100% success rate because if it did, Simon the sorcerer would not have tried to buy the Holy Spirit. If the gospel were 100% successful when it was preached, Ananias and his wife Sapphira never would have tried to deceive the Holy Spirit and lie to Apostle Peter that they sold the house and they had brought all the money. If the gospel was successful, everything that Moses said would have resonated in all the people and there would have been no Korah and no Dathan and no ground opening up like a sinkhole and swallowing them and all they own. Throughout history, the gospel finds good grounds, good hearts, and it finds useless ground, hard hearts that are never going to change that are never going to accept prophetic words. How can you accept a prophetic word when you are part of this deceived group that says that prophets are not for today? This is the thing the Lord was bringing up to me yesterday. This is one thing that I spoke about in the prophecies and he said, you left out telling them. You told them about being a dead church in the video about Sardis and Laodicea, but he said, my daughter, you forgot to explain to them what the dead do. First of all, the dead do nothing. They have departed from us. Their chance to be relevant, useful, and active has come to an end. The second thing he brought out is he said, you did not tell them what a dead body is known for, and that is stinking and decomposition. And I said, Lord, that is on me. My eye did not fall upon that aspect of what it means to be told that you are a dead church. Dead bodies stink. They bring up a stench. They announce themselves not through words and actions like the living do, but they announce themselves through bringing out a smell that disseminates people rapidly and nobody wants to be around that. If you are clinging to dead beliefs, such as saying that Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, is not able to speak in this day and age, because the foundation has been laid. Then what does this mean? You say the foundation has been laid and the man says that the church is an edifice of living stones, which means that until he returns, we will not stop adding living stones into this building. It continues to grow with Christ as the head. What kind of faith is it when the God at the head does not speak? What is the purpose of his spirit? How can his work be complete when he's constantly getting new members coming on board and so many of them flooding in, as he has said, from other denominations, other faiths, other backgrounds? People who are coming in full of Islam and full of Hinduism and Sikhs and, and all other types of religions. How is it that he would have no fresh bread for these people because he stopped baking the bread with Apostle Peter and the rest of them? This is confusion stinking faith, dead bodies sitting right in the caverns of many hearts, and they cannot depart from that deception, though it is dead and gives no life, because they are afraid to go naked for a season, 
And I said, if prophet Isaiah could be naked in front of friends, family, and the merchants of the day, then why is it that the church is so afraid to be stripped of its false faith and given a true living and accurate representation of what the gospel can do? And here now we go to Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus is telling his disciples what to do when they go out. So he's telling them what to do and he's telling them how to carry themselves and how to behave when they separate from him for the first time, right? To go and now start to put into practicals what he has been teaching them. And we'll take it up from verse 11. The Lord says, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it that is worthy and stay there, stay with that person until you leave. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for that city. So this is a second witness to what I just read out of Mark 16. The Lord is saying, now as you go about in your daily life, he's speaking to the um, apostles, he's speaking to the disciples, but you can just listen and pick the kernel of wisdom for yourself. He says, now obviously as you go around about, you're going to meet households. And when you go to that household, stay in that place, stay in a household that is worthy. He says, inquire, ask around, find out who's worthy, first of all, for you to enter into and stay in that person's house and then stay in that place until you go out. So don't hop from house to house. And then he says, when you enter the household, I want you to greet it. And if the household is a worthy household, your peace will come upon it. But if it is not a worthy household, your peace will return to you. And if there's anybody who's not going to listen to you or hear your words, then when you leave that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Again, Jesus is presenting a picture of a not 100% successful gospel. Jesus' appreciation of the gospel is more rooted in reality than the modern church's appreciation of the gospel, who they think will prosper on anyone. So Christians truly do feel that they can preach to anyone, whether the person is worthy or not, and the person will receive the, the gospel with gladness and with joy and experience an immediate personal revival. And this is the reason that many people are battering themselves against the rocks. I hope you heard what I said. I said many of you are battering yourself against the rocks, and that's why by the time you come here and listen to 10 prophecies over 10 days, you are exhausted. You don't have any fuel in the tank because you keep trying to convince your wife that she needs to listen to this channel. And you keep trying to convince your cousins that if they would only listen to Celestial, they'll be ready when the Russians come. And you are not able to admit that at the ground level, these people that you are trying to give this five-star meal that God has prepared for the end times church, they don't have the palate to receive. They don't have the openness of heart to receive. Some of them do not have the spiritual understanding to receive. You've got a weed-smoking cousin who is out in every nightclub, and you think that that's the person who's going to jump on a two-hour video breaking down fallen angels and Nephilim and be interested in that, and you just can't understand why his palate and your palate are not the same 
When I started this ministry within a year, the Lord told me, my child, you are laboring very hard. Stop serving five-star meals to one-star people. Stop serving five-star meals to one-star people. And the minute he said that, I closed the Facebook ministry where I had been making myself available at his invitation to people to teach them how to pray, to teach them how to anoint their homes, to teach them how to rise up in their holy faith and take, take authority over demons that were slapping them around in their own homes. Demons slapping people around in their homes in America and the pastors are on YouTube and telling them that, that the blood of Jesus and, and bless God, the devil can't touch you. Satan is touching someone in this country. This is a fact. Devils, demons, spirit spouses, Men are having night emissions, waking up with substances on their body, and yet there's no woman there. Satan's touching somebody, but the pastors have convinced the people that it's all in their mind, gaslighting them and telling them that because the blood has been shed, automatically that blood is applied. There to my sin was the blood applied. Satan can't touch you. Satan's touching somebody. And the people who are being touched by Satan in their pockets, in their inability to pay their bills, they're hanging on by their knuckles in this economy that is ready to crash smash into a wall and send a ton of people flying out of the safety net that is called money. And the pastors are telling you, I tell you, I tell you, if you just catch this, catch this, watch this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge that this thing is a garden and the word of God must be planted into worthy soil unless it will not grow. You're remonstrating with your family and fighting with your family and your family cannot receive what you are giving them and you are exhausted, smashing yourself against the wall because you want to be more merciful than God. And even God knew that when Joseph was in seed form, his family could not receive him. And God knew that if I leave this seed in the hands of these murderers, they will kill the great deliverance that I have for nations. Joseph did not only deliver Egypt from famine, the whole land of Cana, that whole basin where Egypt sat like a glittering diamond in those days, Joseph said with his own mouth to his brothers in the end chapters, don't be wroth with yourself. Don't be angry with yourself. Yes, you're a bunch of wicked family members, but what you intended for evil, God meant it for good to bring about a great deliverance and save much people alive. This is thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of men, women, and children that would have been murdered in seed form if those men had been allowed to get their hands off on their brothers, the way they, their brother Joseph, the way they really wanted to in their hearts. How many times have I warned that these family members that you are chasing after, because you must prove yourself to be Jesus 2.0, you just have to win them no matter what, because you have misappropriated what the Bible says. Jesus told them, give your peace. There's no greater peace than the gospel. That's why we are told that the sandals of peace is the gospel. In the spiritual armor, the sandals of this gospel of peace. But Jesus says that when you're sharing your sandals and entering into the highways, byways, homes, offices, chat groups, online, whatevers, and you are bringing the peace of the truth of God's word and the peace of what will come and you're being gaslit and mocked and everyone is blocking you on social media and the only friend you have is your cat 
He is telling you to stop mourning so much about it because you should have read your Bible by now with understanding and known that some cities and towns will receive your peace if they are worthy and some cities and towns will reject your peace because they are not worthy. So dust off your shoes and keep it pushing. Like I do. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Right off camera. And so... Stop trying to force faith. Faith is a hard weather seed. The ground will receive it or the ground will reject it, but you cannot make the seed grow. That's why the Bible says it is as if a man should sow seed and then sleep. And he does not know how the seed grows. He will only see the evidence of it. First, the tiny little blade and then the ear and then the full grown ear. And when you see the full grown ear, then you know that that your stubborn wife has probably been listening to the channel secretly with her earbuds because she just didn't want to admit to you that you are right and she is wrong. The next part is overcoming the evidence. And I'm only going to look briefly at one part of Matthew 24. So what does it mean to overcome the evidence? Evidence is proof of something. So you walk into a room and you sniff and you smell cigarette smoke. This tells you that even if nobody is presently in that room, someone was in that room at a time preceding your arrival and that person was smoking. Evidence is proof that something has happened, but there is a problem in Christianity and that problem is that when evidence is present, Christians have this brand new ability. And when I say brand new, they've been doing it for decades to overcome the evidence. That is, they will look at the evidence and they will misinterpret it. They will see the evidence written right there and they will say, it's been twisted for our generation. I know that all the apostles and all the saints like St. Augustine's and St. Pliny and all the rest of them that have written their, what they wrote and left it behind for me to easily Google and read and see what old faith was like. Well, I just want to overcome all that evidence and just say that due to the blogs that I've been reading and the three channels that I follow, things are different. And those guys didn't know what they were talking about. And I've always shared with you that the Lord says that this, the arrogance of this last generation is staggering. It is staggering. This is the most and worst taught generation, most untaught, meaning that half the people on social media commenting on spiritual things cannot find Habakkuk if you gave them a 10 second head start, but they're commenting with confidence as if they know what this book says. And then the second group is commenting with greater confidence, having read the book in some measure, but don't understand what it actually means. The contingent that has read and understood are usually the most silent because I promise you, once you read this Bible and you actually understand what it says, you don't have time to, com to comment on social media. You are so busy getting your house in order for the master's return. You are so busy building your house upon that rock because you have understood that this thing says that storms are coming, that the winds will blow and that the waves will roar and beat against that house. Imagine he didn't say that the winds will just blow and then the sky will clear out. He said that the waves will rise and it will beats against that house. That means that torrents are coming. Imagine using your spiritual strength on chat boards. People who have read and understood 
are having homegrown Bible studies. They are on personal prayer lines, five and 20 of them, pouring, pouring, pouring oil into their lamps. And the first two contingents, the non-readers and the readers without understanders are the ones who overflow in all the areas, commenting and saying in their estimation this, and I think this means this. It is just a bundle of confused wires. Like when people take down their end of the year holiday lights and they don't make sense, so they just bundle it all up and throw it in a box until next year. Overcoming the evidence, Matthew chapter 24, and we're simply going to look at what Jesus says in verse four and then skip ahead. And Jesus answered, let's do verse three. Now Jesus is sitting at the Mount of Olives and the disciples come to him privately and they say to him, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they are basically asking what now to us we understand to be one of the most important end times questions of our generation. And Jesus answered them and he said, Take heed that no one deceives you. And so this one sentence in Matthew 24 and verse 3, it ties immediately into something that I bring up here all the time. And that's 2 Thessalonians, that chapter, basically reading from 1 to about verse 11. Jesus has a lot that he says here in Matthew 24. He's talking about the false Christ. And he's talking about a strange occurrence that will come where people are going to start saying that the Lord has come back and the Lord is holding counsel in the desert. Come, see, he is in the desert. Let us go there. And he's talking about the fact that we should pray that our flight should not be in winter. And he's saying woe to the women who have very tiny children in those days. And it's obvious why he's saying that because it's very hard to flee with grown children. Grown children are going to be going through their own Starbucks and, and Fortnite withdrawal symptoms out in the forest when those days come. But imagine a tiny and innocent child having to go through heat, having to go th through extreme winter. He says, pray that you're not at least going to have to run through winter. So he's saying a lot, but the primary thing the Lord says, the thing that is at the top of his concern for his end times church is that they should not be deceived. And then he says that people will come and say that they're the Christ and they will deceive people. He says that the nations will rise up against nations and the kingdoms against kingdoms and we will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilences and famines. He said that people will be betraying each other in the last days. How many prophecies of that have I brought? That America is going to turn snitch and sell out their own mother to the beast system because the love of many will grow cold and the hatred that will be inside people in this nation of unsubmitted hearts. If you know that a heart is unsubmitted, that means that that heart is filled with unbelief and darkness. You can't see it on the person now, but they're a prime candidate filled with a empty hole that Satan is going to snugly fit into like a shoe being filled by a foot. And once that darkness takes over people, they will hand each other over to the beast family member, a man's enemies are going to be the members of his own household. So all this stuff is written in Matthew 24. You can go and read it for yourself. And then only in verse 31, Jesus speaks again and he says, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So in the beginning, we see the Lord kicking off a very lengthy discussion answering what question the question is tell us what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age he starts off with saying don't be fooled 
by anything, anyone, any doctrine, any theology, and then ends with this verse. I'm going to send angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together my elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. How is it that the church has blotted out the evidence from verse 5 to verse 30? How is it that the modern-day church, confronted with the fact that there are at least 25 or 26 verses between verse 5 and verse 30, and says that that is not reference to them, that Jesus is speaking to either the left behind or the Jews of that day. Why would Jesus be speaking to the Jews of that day? Did Jesus, was Jesus so myopic that he did not know that if you invest these pearls of wisdom that are written in my Bible here in red, if you invest these pearls of wisdom in people that are going to die, then what's the point? Why are you informing people that you know will not be alive at this time about these things? Jesus was speaking these things for a posterity a latter group of people that would be alive and that would need to know these things. And now the latter group's time has come, but from verse 5 to verse 30, all I will say is they are becoming masters and are experts in overcoming the evidence, which is basically turning a stubborn blind eye to the evidence in favor of saying that from verse 4, do not be deceived, all the way up to verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens and the tribes of earth will start mourning as they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. They're saying that that whole section has nothing to do with them because all they know is verse 31 is a locked and loaded promise and they're not going to be cheated of it. Overcoming the evidence means that you are staring something blank in its face and you put your head into the sand like an ostrich and you say, what's that? I just don't see it. Just a moment, please. This next part is called a covenant in restraint. Now, the covenant in restraint is actually a longer term that is used not only in the legal profession, but it's used in a lot of professions. And its full name is covenant in restraint of trade. A covenant in restraint of trade is a kind of specialized clause that you find in the work contracts of highly specialized people. This is people usually with 15 to 35 years of work experience. These are very expensive human resources because these people have usually been in their job for a long time. They're walking compendiums of skill. Usually if they've been working for 25 years or more, that means that they've been in business for long enough to see the business arena change time to time to time. And so these are extremely high quality and precious people to have in your company. And so usually when you're signing on these rich, these data rich, experience rich resources, you're giving them a hefty package, a hefty bonus, a lot of perks because they are totally worth it. But there's one little caveat that you will find in their contracts and this is called a covenant in restraint. And it means that if you work for us for anything longer than six months, even though it's usually a year, not six months, but some companies can really try to get their hooks into you. If you work for us for anything longer than six months to a year, this covenant in restraint of trade kicks in, meaning that you have joined our company and you have learned a ton of private information 
information about us. You have had your eye on our books. You have had your eye on our due diligence policies. You have been basically brought into the belly of our company. Have you taken a good look at the inner works of how we do things? And so this clause limits you for sometimes a period of up to five years, that if you leave the company, you are not allowed to go and practice the things that you learned at that company at another company that is a direct competitor, or you are not allowed to go and start your own consultancy or things like that, practicing things that you picked up at that company. Some people argue that a covenant in restraint is very unfair, especially if a person is 55 years old and is looking at their last few years in working. After you finish working, a lot of data-rich people want to go and become consultants. They want to start up their own thing, Fred and Fred, or whatever it is. And to have a covenant in restraint of trade operating against you for two years, three years, five years, telling you that because we were the last bus stop, where you worked and so you can't now go and begin to operate and use the skill it's not fair because when the person came to you they had their skills already in place why would god bring this up because he's focusing on the fact that many people have not made a covenant of restraint with themselves that is right you want to be an end times warrior and then you cannot kick your sin your sinful habits you're sending me emails and you're telling me that you have a feeling that God is going to use you. And then the mouth that you say he told you to prophesy out of, the mouth is still addicted to weed. The mouth is a gossiping mouth. The mouth is still using foul speech. How is this mouth going to prophesy? There is no covenant in restraints. Your soul is not bound under restraint. You have not yet learned how to control your tongue. Many Americans, this is the land of the endless opinion, the land of the clapback, the land of the mic drop, and you are going to take those habits into the beast system and find out that Russia has no interest in mic drops, that they will put their boots on the heads of any person who has not learned to practice restraint. A covenant means a solemn vow. A covenant is much more important and binding than a contract. Contracts always have some kind of loophole that can you can find them and get out of them or mutually agree and get out of them. A covenant in biblical terms was binding. It was usually made with blood in the midst. It is not something that you can just ignore like that. It was a very, very firm commitment. And this is why God didn't make contracts. God made covenants. And those covenants, two of the biggest ones, are called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Binding promises that the Father gave and also binding laws that he gave to prove how serious and also timeless he is. People do not have covenants. They have not yet at this dangerous time in history defeated the lust of the flesh. You are a man and you have a wandering eye. And yet you are listening to a channel that is letting you know every five minutes that there is a system of a beast coming that is going to use technology to monitor and moderate the human being. And what the Lord was bringing on my heart today is celestial. You understand, for instance, that when the human being sees something that is attractive to us as human beings, our eyes dilate, both men and women. When, they, when a man sees an attractive woman, when a woman sees an attractive man, instinctively, this is not anything that you're doing or controlling consciously, your pupils dilate. Your pupils go wider to indicate some kind of dopamine rush that is happening. 
And now you find that you are going into the world where Siri, Alexa, and all their steel cold friends are going to be monitoring every temperature rise, every swallowing of saliva, every dilation of the pupil to show interest. We are going to be forced to interact much too closely with this iron kingdom in the form of AI robots and other things like that. How many people are people that have been trained in restraint? How many people are operating in Galatians chapter 5 verses 23, 22 and 23 that talk about things like meekness, goodness, endurance, Everybody knows the love, joy, and peace part. Love, joy, and peace, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, love, love generation. How many people, how many sermons have you heard on personal self-control in the last 24 months? This is 2022, 2023. How many sermons on the fruit of self-control? Do you understand the difference between a fruit and a gift? Do you understand that self-control is not a gift? A gift is something that is given. Somebody comes and says, I took my time, I took my money, I used my discernment, I studied you, and I picked something that I know you will like. Here, I give this to you. It is a gift. Self-control is not a gift. Self-control is a fruit. Where do we get fruit from? People have to get up early in the morning and go out to the field and dig it, plant seeds, water it, watch over it, drive the birds away, fight the good fight of faith and wait for an entire season to pass before fruit comes up. If self-control is a fruit, how many people are out at the farm growing this thing in a culture where every three minutes videos go up online of this person slapping that person and this person jumping the cops or that cop jumping that person? How are the nations going in the fruit of self-control? When we are coming into a time where a misspoken word will have someone pull out a gun from nowhere and end your life or your child's life simply because you snapped at them. And unfortunately, they were just all out of snaps. How are we building up the covenant in restraint of trade? Let's go to the book of James. Let us go to the book of James. Just a moment, please. So the first stop is here in James chapter 1 and verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some people cannot complete the video before bringing an accusation and then the video completes and the thing they accused me of is in the second part of the video and then they realize, yeah, I should have finished watching that first. And it's been happening since the very first day, very first video that I made, barring the introduction. If a sentence is yay long and you can't get to the end of the sentence, why do you feel qualified to speak on a portion of the sentence that you may or may not even understand properly? That's because many people in our generation are not slow to speak. Many people are only waiting for the other person to get an average of a few words out and then the person says, okay, I think you've spoken enough and I have views on the thing you've spoken. We now are in an age where people do not speak to understand or speak to learn or speak to engage. They are speaking to debunk. They are speaking to say, fail as if conversation is an exam that you can pass or fail 
Some of us grew up in a time where conversation is a means by which one expresses oneself, but not in this generation. This generation exists to debunk what it does not understand. This generation cannot discern because this generation thinks that the way they discern is saying, I have a funny feeling about this. This is the era of the feeling generation, sensory. I'm pinching my flesh because this generation is hardwired into its flesh. Feelings are hard, is how people discern. People go by their feelings. So if they're in hard times, they are unable to dig deep and find the faith that overcomes the feelings. Faith says, I will believe in spite of how I feel. Faith says, I will believe in spite of how I see. For we don't live by what we see. We don't live by sensory perceptions. We live by faith. The just is living by his faith. And the operative word there is living, kept alive, not dead, not stagnant, not stinking. The just shall live by his faith. What is the other part, the unsaid part of that sentence? The unjust shall perish by his unbelief. Excuse me, please. It's right there. If the just lives by his faith, if the just is kept from becoming an empty carcass falling in these streets during the era of the beast, then that means that the unjust, the unwise, is on his way to perishing by his unbelief. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, swift to hear, because the wrath of a human being cannot produce anything that God is able to call righteous. And then here in James 3, James is talking about the tongue and he has an entire discourse on the human mouth and what it can do. He says from verse two, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, that means in speech, in how he comports himself, by how he brings forth ideas and understanding out of his mouth. If he is not guilty in his speech, four letter word people, you are already guilty before you can finish a sentence. If you need to F, 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 F your thoughts to people, your speech is unclean and it is considered, as I taught in the beginning of this video, unworthy. It is unworthy communication. The Bible always also calls it foul communication. If that is the only way you can express yourself, you are very limited and the devil has already pierced your tongue through with an arrow that will make your mouth quite salty and Jesus will not want to hear anything from a mouth that, as I will explain and read further, has salt water and sweet water coming out of it. You cannot FFF your way through the day. And then when you're having a problem, go and say, you know, Jesus, I just want to. It doesn't work that way. You are already a hypocrite in the eyes of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is going to struggle to come out of a mouth like that. There's no way that you are taking a foul tongue and using it to rebuke any demons. Don't expect any alien to leave your front door when you have a salty mouth, a gossiping mouth, a mocking mouth, a prideful tongue. Don't expect to see one ounce of spiritual power coming out of your mouth to rebuke even the third grade baby demon. 
It will not move. A third grade baby demon is well within a Christian's authority to, rebu to rebuke. Not every demon is of the class. This kind cometh out only by prayer and fasting. There are higher level kinds and the people who are in the trenches bringing their body under subjection, fasting regularly, they are storing up the kind of oil that will be able to rebuke even the high level kind. But even the mid-level baby kind, if you have unclean communication, if there's a sewer pipe in your mouth, you will not have the power to rebuke anything. You will not have the power to be an intercessor. You may be here and you may be saying, Celestial, I heard the prophecy about the children and what can I do? How can we pray? The first advice that I would have to you is please go and clean your mouth with the fuller's soap. Leave the prayer to the other people who have, who have conquered that hurdle. Leave it to them. Let them handle the children. You go and handle yourself. Get that fuller soap and your robe and start to scrub. It is necessary for someone to tell you these things because the pastors are not telling you that the fervent, effective prayer of the clean mouth availeth much. The righteous man has a clean mouth and a submitted tongue and he is able to greatly hold it, especially the females. There are many people, if God had called you to this ministry and you were subjected to the kind of abuse that is here 24 hours a day, you would have melted into a pool of Snickers and just flown down the street, just melted down the street crying, woe is me for your soul. But I'm able to sit here by the grace of God, me against, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of people promoting every form of sinful communication and unbelief at a non-stop pace. My self-esteem is intact and every single day this camera is still going on and the word of God is going forth and he gets all the glory for that because I learned at his knee that greater is he in me than whoever is in the world. You can't, you, can't, you can't aspire to higher things if you cannot take control of the small baby things. Paul said there's absolutely no reason that I should have to be teaching you these baby things. You should have moved on from the milk by now, but we still need to examine and establish so many, many things for you. Just a moment, please. And so James is saying here, that if anyone doesn't stumble in word, he is a perfect man and he is able to bridle the whole body. This means that one who brings the mouth under communication is one who will actually find that he has enough spiritual strength to keep all his other urges under control. People talk so reckless now in the end times. Nothing is off limits. People can say anything. There is absolutely no accountability for speech. And why is this? Because the internet has given everybody the ability to assume a new persona, to put a picture there that's not their picture, and become anyone in the wind. Once there's no accountability for your speech, you're free to say anything, but you forget that those who keep the eternal records in heaven have already let us know in the Bible that we will be accountable for every idle word we speak. This means that out of the mass of all that you have said, all the useless parts, they're going to excise it. That means to cut it out with surgical precision and pack it up and put your name on it 
And when you get before the white throne, every careless word from your mouth will be waiting for you, for you to explain it. And it is not likely that you are going to be able to explain it because if you could, it would not be idle words. It would be useful words that build up and exhort and rebuke and bring about some useful end as useful words are supposed to. A person who is able to bite back a retort, to bite back this and to bear long before they finally say something. This one, the Bible says, is a perfect man. And he will find that when he begins to be challenged in other areas, such as in areas of looking too long at women or struggling with the desire to look at men, he will find granted to him an extraordinary grace that he is able to bridle, control his body as well. James says, we put bits into the horse's mouths to make them obey us. And by that bit, that little small bit that goes into the horse's mouth, we can turn their whole body. And why is this? The horse's mouth is a very tender place. Everybody's mouth is a tender place. And James says that we have put something into the mouth of the horse that is so tender that when we pull it, that pain that we could cause is not worth it to the horse. It is not worth it to feel the bit in your mouth and the Lord says, turn. And then you say, I'm not going to turn. I don't like this. I don't like the way it's being presented. I don't like the way it's being said. How come it's coming and nobody's praying for us? It could come with a little prayer. It could come with a little tenderness. It could come with a little this and a little that. And yet at the same time, this horse has been told, go forth and speak the word of the Lord and sing the funeral songs of this nation. How do funeral songs come with anything else except a funeral tune? He makes the same argument and he said, even look at the ship. The ship is so big, but it's turned by a tiny rudder. And he says, that's how the tongue is so tiny. And yet it has the power to boast such great things. It can set a whole forest on fire. Have you ever thought about how one small lie has put people in prison for the rest of their life? Just one person going, that was him. I would recognize him anywhere. And somebody's doing 40 to life because of your mistake, because of your arrogance. These are dangerous things that need to be repented of. The tongue is a fire, a whole world of iniquity. This literally means an endless possibility of sin. The more your mouth is open, the wider the playing field that at some point sin is coming out of that mouth. And the tongue has been so placed among our members that it can defile the whole body and it can set on fire the course of nature. Your tongue can burn up your entire life. Your tongue and your approach can get you out of a promotion, can get you out of a marriage proposal, women. Can set that man that you prayed for for how many years back on his heels and make him reconsider the whole thing and start calling you and going, you know, I don't think, I don't think. And when men start, I don't think, that's it. You're crying. This is you and your mother and your friends making TikToks about how evil men are. And you will leave out the part where it was your tongue that went and set the entire forest of your future on fire. Same with men. Your tongue can bring you down. The arrogance, the approach can bring you down. The lack of restraint. I saw a most curious case and I said, Lord, if this does not indicate 
that all the prophecies you have given me about boomerang judgments are in effect, then I don't know what is. A young man went to a bar and then could not hold his alcohol and then began to become a brawler there until he began to frustrate the other patrons right here in the United States. This happened just two or three weeks ago. It was a story carried by the Post. Began to upset the other patrons until eventually he got himself thrown out. He was being a nuisance. And so now you've gotten yourself thrown out, but now as the male ego, you can't handle the fact that the bouncers have held you up by your little armpits and frog marched you out of the establishment because you are someone who has no restraint. And so as he left the place, he comes to the very large plate glass window of this person's business. The window was not free. Santa did not bring it. The business paid for that large window advertising itself and he throws his fist and punches it. But then his fist goes through the glass and in bringing it back, he slashes major arteries in his arm and he bled out before help could come, before the ambulance could get him to any help. His own actions saw him taken out of this world. I saw that story and I said, Heavenly Father, this is exactly what you said. That as they are throwing the sin back, Satan is going to catch that thing and send it back in many people's faces. It won't leave you time to breathe. The word the Lord gave me last year when I was prophesying these things in the middle of the year 2022. He said that before you can start the repenting, your life will be taken from you. A candle being blown out and you will find yourself on the other side of eternity with no get out of jail free card. A young man no longer on this earth today simply because he had no restraint. Threw a punch, pulled his hand back, and the jagged glass slashed him, completely cut all his major everything. And now his mother is one child less because of no restraint. Because of a mouth that he could not keep closed when he was still inside the establishment and just say, it's embarrassing, but you know what? I'm just going to get myself another round and call it a day. I'll take the L for today. Every kind of beast and every kind of bird and reptile and creature of the sea has been tamed and is tamed by mankind. But here is James saying something. No man can tame the tongue. And I've spoken in the prophecies where I said that in the end times, when people are forced to form these little survival groups, one, one group of people that I saw that I said, don't forget to pray and send your prayers into the future, that you will not find yourself thrown together by chance and circumstance with these people. And that is women who cannot control their tongue. I've said that not every dream I have, I've shared, but I've shared enough. And people who listen to these dreams that I speak in such details, you cannot deny. But I always tell you what women are doing in these dreams. People will say something and then they will be like, well, I just don't think so. And I just don't agree. And I just don't. And I just said, Lord, please don't, don't let it come to a situation where I'm in this group. Because if there's more than one of that type of woman and that type of woman, you can recognize her now because she's not submitted now in her household. She is the bossy Mary. If she's not married, she's the bossy Mary of her entire family. She's the one who knows, and everybody just has to fall in line and follow Bossy Mary, even though Bossy Mary is not the best navigator most times. And that's because when you're using up all your bandwidth being bossy, it doesn't really lend itself to wisdom all the time. That's why most people like this have to work so hard. Bossy Marys and Bossy Martins. No offense to Marys and Martins. 
If you're using up so much personal bandwidth on being right, it is sometimes very hard to actually be right. You're in a marriage, you're married to this type of woman. You say something, she says something. You say something, she says something. And that's it. You guys are doing badminton until the man finally just goes and watches football or something. No headship in your marriage. You two end up in the end times. You have a wife like that. You have a sister like that. Please do not be surprised. The other people in the group will vote. I promise that I told you all these things. God said to tell you everything. And I have said this part. Do not be surprised when the other people in the vote, in the, in the group, take a vote like that reality show survivor and ask you two to leave. They will just tell you in, in the love of God, please let us do like Abraham and Lot kindly separate from us. And the entire group of 17 people, because their safety in numbers, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Those 17 will ask you and your unsubmitted sister, you and your unsubmitted wife, or just you, the unsubmitted single woman who has no covenant in restraint, please, in the love of God, let us not quarrel about these things. Survey the land. If you go and fight the zombies that way, we will go and fight them this way. If you fight the giants that way, then we will take our leave and go this way. You will find yourself cut off from group help because the character will be so offensive and so stinking to people in those days who will be so stressed that you will find yourself asked in the most polite King James language to please leave. Can you resist temptation? Can you say no now? Can you quash your urges? Is the Holy Spirit truly your Lord that he can tell you I don't want to see you in this situation. You are a single person. You have already entered blinking red light territory going off with this guy. Going off in a situation that is going to attack and tear off the covering of your virtue for five minutes of biting into forbidden fruit. I don't want you here. Do you actually honor that voice? Can you get up and walk away? If you cannot say no now, then what is going to happen to you when the atmosphere becomes polluted with signs, charms, deception, and magic that is going to be released all across this earth in the end times? And then we come to endurance. Endurance is another spiritual gift. And I will look at one scripture that we can find in the book of Jeremiah. Please go to Jeremiah. If you have your Bible, please go to Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. And it is simply God answering an extremely tired Jeremiah. Jeremiah is telling God, you are very righteous, and so that is not in question. But I want to talk with you, Lord, about the way that you judge. Why are wicked people doing so well? Why are they getting away with it? Why are the most treacherous people, Jeremiah is asking God, so happy? He's asking, it seems almost as if these people have been planted by your hand, Lord, because no matter how much the righteous pray, these people are not being uprooted out of the earth. Jeremiah is in a long haul job. 40 years this man did this job, prophesying to an obstinate people and to a king who was constantly throwing him in prison as if it was prison roundabout game. Just throw him in and then bring him out and then throw him back in again. A different series of kings doing this. 
And Jeremiah is saying, but God, you know me and you've seen me and you've tested my fidelity. That is my faithfulness towards you. Why am I experiencing this? And what God answers Jeremiah is not what most people would say. God didn't say, oh, Jeremiah, I know your heart and I understand. God gives Jeremiah something that most people don't understand is the function of prophecy. Most people will say, I don't like celestial's prophecies because they don't edify. They don't edify. And where's the hope? That's because you don't know what edification is. Edif edifying, to give you a picture of it, it is like that thing that they have at the hospital when you are perishing. When you now are losing so much blood from being shot or from the car accident or something that you are at the point of being on your way out. And then those guys bring those two paddles. What do those two paddles represent? That's the hope. They have determined that talking to you and going, there, there, dear, dear, we're here, we're here. That's not going to bring your perishing carcass back from the risky edge where it has come. The hospital have taken a perfect view of what is going on with you. They can see you've got about 30 seconds left before you cross out of this life. And so they are making the value judgment that what you need is not hope and candy and sugar. They are making the value judgment that what you need is those two paddles rubbed together and applied in the form of an electric shock. That is the edification. It literally is supposed to jolt sense into you, to revitalize you, to try and get the stench of the graveyard on you and get you ready to be an onward Christian soldier. And if you don't respond, what do they do? Do they say, we lost him? No, they rub them together again and say, increase it to 250. And then they apply it and they wait to see if you will respond. And if you don't respond, they rub it a third and a fourth and a fifth time, and they don't care if your chest is getting burned because they are trying to save your life. That is edification. Shocking the dead bodies back into life so that God can, by all means, through this channel, save some. And so, God edifies Jeremiah. He doesn't say, I understand how you feel. God rubs the paddles together, and this is what the paddles applied into Jeremiah's tired chest. God says in Jeremiah 12 and 5, If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? So here are two examples. God is saying, that you ran with the footmen and they made you tired. Footmen in those days were specially trained young men who were selected to serve the crown and to serve the business of the palace because they didn't have Google and they didn't have Amazon and they didn't have the United States Postal Service. So when they needed to send messages back to the battlefront or between the kingdoms or to kings or to wherever, they used these swift runners who could be counted on to get the message across rapidly. Boys who could run and not get tired. Boys who could run and not get there and say, oh, I forgot the message. Boys who could be trusted to carry sealed messages from kings to generals and things like that in crucial situations. These boys had to be not only swift, they had to be intelligent and they had to be brave because sometimes they were going to the battlefront. Sometimes they would have to creep into enemy territory where there were just 10 
people hiding and deliver a message and say, thus says the king, is there any word? They had to be boys that were okay with traveling long distances without much, navigating by the stars with only their God to take them. So God is saying, Jeremiah, the work that I've given you is going to have you competing with the swiftest. But if the boys make you tired, when I shift gears and I begin to operate with horses, what are you going to do, Jeremiah, if you can't run against the boys? How many people think that that is the kind of loving God thing that Jeremiah wanted to hear? Not likely, but then God trained Jeremiah from his youth. So Jeremiah was used to how God speaks. Most people aren't used to how God speaks. So everything that they hear that comes from the God is fighting from the false image of God that they have. And that's why they constantly say, is this really God? Is God speaking like this? He's speaking like this in the Bible and he's speaking like this in these videos, but there is a gap. You are unaware of how he speaks, most people. Those who know how he speaks are excited when they hear the word because it resonates with what they've read in their Bibles. So God uses that first analogy and says, you've been running against the swiftest of the boys, but now I'm about to shift gears and move to horse speed prophecies. The running of the boys is three to four years ago when I would prophesy and it would take three years or two and a half years for you to start to see the prophecy showing up on the news. But now I'm saying things and people are like, yeah, that happened to me last summer. Now the time is shorter and the horse's hooves are beginning to thud across the earth where things will come forward and God will move right and do it because he said to tell America Ezekiel 12. At the end of Ezekiel 12, the Lord makes a threat. It is not just a prophecy. He makes a threat, and the threat he says through the mouth of Ezekiel is tell them that they are going to require this statement where they say, well, where, where's the prophetic word? When is it going to happen? Is there anything that's come true? He says you're going to retire that proverb because now is the time where I'm going to move swiftly into fulfillment. That's a threat. So God uses the horse's analogy, and then he also says, in the land of peace that you were trusting in, you got tired. What will you do when the flood plain of the Jordan overflows? So the Jordan River is this much smaller river, and we already see how Naaman was not impressed with that river when he brought his leprosy over from Samaria. He saw the Jordan, and it was not flooding at that time, and he said, but this is just a dirty little stream. If I wanted to wash off this leprosy, couldn't I just wash it off in Samaria? So God is saying that in the time of peace, this is no war in America. This is the fact that you can still go to any ATM in this country and withdraw money. And people are already saying they can get pizza, they can get Amazon, they can get access to electricity. Cars are still running even though the gas in the cars cost more. And people are saying, we're in the tribulation. We're nearly there, family. See you in the clouds. You have every amenity, even though the amenities cost more because we are in the grip of the inflation that God says will eat up all the gains. Who remembers the prophecy? Nothing but scattery. Inflation, stand up in America and eat it up. Eat up the surplus. Eat up the gains. Eat it all. This is the prophetic word that I brought here last year. Nothing but scattering. Prophecy of a great coming financial crash that will cause all the nations to either stagger or like Europe, Canada, go down to their knees as America, the great financial giant, crashes to the earth. 
So God is saying in the land of peace, not tribulation, there is no tribulation ongoing right now, just to clear the air and help those who are still wandering around in the dark. No tribulation ongoing. Access to services is still there for those who have money, those who have a little, those who are clinging on to less. Tribulation, Jesus says, will be the worst time. After that, there shall be no days like it. If America has already seen the Great Depression and seen 2008, then that means that the times we're in now can't possibly qualify as days that have never been seen. Because anybody who's 60 to 70 years old or 80 years old, bless your soul if you are that old and you are still with us, God bless you, then that means that you've seen these days before. So this is not a tribulation. So if we are still in the land of peace and the Christian is fainting, <laughs> tapping out, God says, what are you going to do when the, when the Jordan starts flooding? Which is a very dangerous time. At the time that Joshua and the Israelites and them were crossing into the promised land, the Jordan was flooding. It was flooding. And they had to pray for God to open the river because the river was savage. They had to send the priests in there with the Ark of the Covenant and then the river stopped, separated, and then they had a, a, like a Red Sea crossing part two. Not across the sea, but across a very angry and flooded floodplain. So God is saying, if the land is basically at peace, I haven't touched you yet, the Lord is saying, I haven't touched you yet to actually do the prophecies. And you are fainting. You are already weary, Jeremiah. Then he says, when the flooding of the river comes, and now FEMA can't cope with the disasters. What are you going to do? Endurance. It is a spiritual gift or fruit. It is a fruit. That means it requires work. No one is just going to give it. God will never give you endurance just because you pray. You have to pray. And the way that God gives us the fruit is he sends into our lives or allows to enter into our lives. Please watch my hands. When I say send, that means it's coming direct through the sheepfold gate. Jesus is entering in as the Lord and owner of the sheepfold gate to send things into our lives that we have to endure. And as we endure them, that is how we become endurers. Or God will allow to enter in. This is the hireling climbing over the gate. This is illegal things that Satan will do. Try to attack your family. Try to attack your reputation. Try to attack you at your job in this terrible economy and get you fired for nothing. Try to attack you in the midst of your family. Try to attack you in the midst of your friend. Make you the scapegoat. Why? All of these things are preparing you for when the Jordan floods. And it's not only you, but every Christian will be accused of everything, including global warming. They're going to blame everything on us. They're going to say, it's all us. We are going to become the blight on the face of the earth. They will blame us for everything. And Obama will be the cheerleader saying, yes, get them. Because it's them and their unreasonable doctrines that have troubled the earth. So whether trials come in through the gate or hop over the fence of the sheepfold, God will allow us to go through things because it is going through things that builds up this fruit called endurance. You pray for endurance because you need it. You can't pray away the need for it, but then you have to go through things in order to get this fruit. It is the farming and reaping principle. And so 
These are some of the things that God is bringing up. And now I'm going to close with this last analogy that the Lord gave me, a true eye-opener, and I call it the crime scene analogy. And here are his words. Celestial, the crime scene analogy is a scene of pride, and they do not know that the victim is their soul. The crime scene analogy, cooperating with the sin of pride that murders your own soul. And so the picture that I saw is something that will be familiar to anybody who's ever seen an American movie. You don't need to be American to understand this. If you've ever seen an American movie, you already know the crime scene analogy. The crime scene analogy is when the cops are hunting for a serial killer and they track him down to where he lives. And they think that they have mounted a sting operation that is stealthy and quick enough to catch him. But this guy is one step ahead of the cops. And so the police will burst into this person's home sweep the place and they won't find him all this the lord was talking to me i was seeing this image and then they will always come to that special room and that is the room where the killer has spent a lot of time hunting his victims and building up a web and writing down where their kids go to school and mapping out each person's personal schedule to know when's the great the best time to grab them and so when the police walk into this room, there's usually a wall and there's usually a map and there's usually pins where he's going to do his hunting. And there's an entire time intensive proof that somebody has been in here hard at work on a bunch of ideas. Church, God wants me to let you know that that is how the majority of you are when it comes to last day's prophecies. God says that you have worked on your theories so hard and so long that absolutely nothing I say on this channel is going to convince you that the word here is the truth according to how it's actually going to happen. And I here am a witness to what God is saying. He says that you have worked on your theories of how it's going to happen and which part is first and which part comes third after the fifth under the 31st piece of the puzzle. And he says you are so committed to your crime scene that you absolutely refuse to let go of your complicated understanding to receive the simple truth that is presented for you in an A, B, C, D fashion. The crime scene analogy a crime and a scene of pride and the victim is your soul because you can't receive simple teaching simple doctrine the people in india listen and they just say bless the lord who has made these things available to us and the people in brazil listen and they say uh sister and they say it in their language i have to translate it through google and sister would you kindly put the subtitles on i feel like i'm missing a lot when you are speaking and the people in Africa will say, you, do you know that my pastor played one video and we all were so blessed and I'm thinking, good goodness me. And then here people are saying, well, the, as, as soon as the words come out, I, I don't really think it's him. I don't think it's him because these, these five things that I've been working on, I've worked it out in the crime scene, the crime scene, the evidence that someone has worked so hard on a theory that it, they're almost sobbing inside to let it go and hear a different truth 
another truth. And this is not everyone. There are people who rejoice and say, my goodness, I am in my 60s. And I'm so glad that I, God did not let me continue in what they taught me in my generation. Jeremiah 16 and 19, these, these people have inherited lies. There are people who rejoice and say, well, I don't, I don't care what age she is. I'm listening and I can hear Jesus in here and it makes sense to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my crime scene away and I'm going to pick this up. And I'm going to go off and match it to what's in the Bible. And then I'll be back with my results. But the crime scene people cannot let go. And God says you will hold on to that thing. And the roulette you're playing with is deception. And remember that deception has a very high price tag. Deception is no, no subtle player at the, at the gambling table. Deception is not coming and saying, I want you to bet your house or I want you to bet the farm. Deception is saying we are going to play a game and the price on the table is your soul. My aim as deception is to keep you deceived until the very last moment when the evil one that will prosper with craft, he is going to tear the net off your face because he will do some things that even the deceived people will be forced to wake up. It, it's going to be a terrible time of weeping in this country. I mean the kind of crying that will, that will come up through our apartments, through the floorboards. For some of you, you won't even be in your apartment alone. It's your family in the house with you that will be wailing when they see the laws that man and also the ones who precede him are going to pass in this nation. Deception's job is to keep you deceived while thinking that you are not deceived until such time as the deception has played its role. When deception has deceived, at the proper time, deception will be ripped off and you will see the truth because the joy in deceiving is to watch the face of the victim when they realize that they have been deceived. If deception must prosper, then the ending of it is that souls and lives will be thrown on the gambling table as people cling on to their crime scene beliefs, crime scene theories, crime scene way of understanding the Bible. No matter how simply it is made, people seem to prefer a more complicated scripture analysis than the ABC doctrines that Apostle Paul said, you should have already mastered these things by now and moved on from milk to meat. Cooperating with the devil to stab yourself through pride and deception is murder and a crime against your own soul. And I will just ask you, if you came into a dark room and someone was sitting there tied up with a bag over their head and Satan said, do you see this man? He's guilty of this and this and this. Judge him and let's stab him. And Satan begins to stab and you join in and you begin to stab too. And then afterward, they pull the bag over the head and you saw that it was you. Would you have enthusiastically participated in that crime of hurting that one in the chair if you knew that it was you? That is deception. It is deception to be in the chair bound, gagged, and to have your eye dark and you think that your eye is light. And Satan convinces you, take a bite out of that one in the chair and you do so enthusiastically. You go off and you participate in the same sex life because Satan has told you that the church is very judgmental and that God loves you like that. And you were born that way anyway. And you begin to stab that man and that woman in the chair where God has said, let every man his own wife, every woman 
her own husband. It never said every woman must have her own wife and you are stabbing yourself. Pedophilia, bestiality, lies, slander, gossip, jealousy, envy, muttering, complaining, disobedience to your parents, unloving, cold in the heart, workers of malicious deeds, spinners of evil schemes, stab, 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 and the day is coming, the hood will come off, and it will not be any enemy sitting in that chair. It will be yourself at the crime scene. I'm Celestial, and this is The Master's Voice. The Master's Voice is available in English for now, but if you are one who uses subtitles, please understand that within 24 to 48 hours, closer to 48 hours, everything will be translated for you by the YouTube algorithm. All you have to do is click that little thing that looks like a wheel and then go to auto-translate, and then there's a host of languages, and I pray the Lord that your language will be there. So just give it 48 hours, and the captions can be available. God bless you. Thank you for being with me. And until I see you again, goodbye.